7.02 on a Monday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. What's going on with the music today? Hey, dog, you're up, you're up to something. Smoky jazz in honor of yesterday. All right. A lot of smoky jazz. I'm getting a real uh, Schrader from Charlie Brown peanuts vibe here. You know, order a martini, sit down for the night. Is that what we're going to do tonight? Or maybe margarita in brush case. Are you going to order a dry martini today? We're all going out to watch the football game together. We're having a social event with A-Dog. Me, Bruff, a dog, the could, three legs of the tripod. Could be a big mistake. I, have we ever gone, I don't think we've ever gone out drinking before. I'm very excited to do this. Yeah, you've never asked me. I want you. <laughs> Guys, we're not going out drinking. <laughs> we're, we're going out to watch a football game. We got, we've still got the morning show tomorrow morning. No, no, nah, we'll run a best of. Going out drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the game starts at five. There's gonna be a row of shots. We're like, should be Let's good do Monday this. Monday evening tradition going forward. Yeah, we'll go out drinking yeah. with a football game on in the background. Yeah, uh, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios here in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Uh, hour two of the program. That means I need to tell you about North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street. In Vancouver, we are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Do we have Mike ready? Our Monday morning quarterback brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Joining us now, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, Mike Tannier here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? You know, I was just on an Edmonton affiliate and they played me in with Dr. Dre. Wow. And here I come after years of working with you guys. I come in and what are you playing? Marimba Madness. What? <laughs> we are the sophisticated. We are the sophisticated side. Of Just trying to class it up, radio. Mike. Trying to class it up. Yeah. Andy loves his <laughs> piano. Uh, I, I, you know what? I love your Monday morning walkthrough because you really managed to capture the essence of everything that happened on Sunday. And we are so like we've been working together for years, and we, we're, we're the same kin. We're, we're very alike because the headline. Of the walkthrough, the humiliation of Aaron Rodgers and Mac Jones. I love it. We were like, we're only going to focus on the bad today. So let's start right at the top. The humiliation of Aaron Rodgers. Walk us through how bad that was yesterday as the Packers got blown out in Minnesota. We already played the audio from Rodgers about how frustrated he is with his young wide receivers. But the humiliation of Aaron Rodgers. Tell me about it. Well, it starts with Christian Watson, the second-round pick, uh, dropping a touchdown pass through his hands in a way that looked like some kind of playground nightmare. Uh, It was followed by an entire game in which uh, the Packers only score seven points. Rodgers is throwing screen passes and running end-arounds and doing all of this goofy stuff, fluttering the ball to Robert Tanyan and Romeo Dobbs and a bunch of guys like Jawan Winfrey and like backup tight ends you've never heard of in a desperate attempt to manufacture some offense. He's getting sacked constantly. He's like doing the thing where he runs around, throws it away, and just like goes to the sideline, making everyone know, sending off this vibe that you can feel on the Richter scale, how irritated he is. And like you said, afterwards he goes out there and he, he, he lets us know. He's not somebody who says, you know, one day at a time and, and, and it's not going to be you know, perfect right away and these young guys are growing in themselves. He lets us know exactly how ticked off he is after one game. And if Aaron Rodgers is this ticked off after one game, buckle up because it's going to be an entertainingly weird season for the Green Bay Packers. Well, and it had to be exacerbated by the fact that on the same field that Rodgers was on, Justin Jefferson yes. was virtually unstoppable 
for Minnesota. And then I don't know if Rodgers was checking the out-of-town scoreboard, but his old running mate, Devontae Adams, had an unbelievably solid debut with the Raiders. So he's looking around, and I, I imagine at some point he's saying, like, everyone else has a good wide receiver except for me. Exactly right. And if anybody's checking out-of-town scores to see what his favorite guys are doing in the middle of the game, it's Rodgers. But, yeah, and you remember Justin Jefferson. He was one of the guys during the famous uh, podcast where Rodgers was like, oh, during the draft, I just started drinking tequila because, boy, I really wanted, like, Jefferson, and he named, like, these two other guys. And instead, what did they do? They went and drafted I forget who they drafted, but it was somebody that Aaron Rodgers did not approve of. It was a defensive tackle or something like that. So, yes, all of it was like conspiring to sort of to sort of you know make Rodgers frustrated. And uh, you know, again, they were without two of their offensive tackles too. The Packers sure. had other issues there. But this is a Super Bowl contender. You can't go out there in Week One lose to a division foe, a conference foe, lose all those tiebreaker opportunities, and demonstrate that you're vulnerable to an opponent like the Vikings. It's just not very encouraging for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the other part of the walk through the lead, anyway, of course, the humiliation of Aaron Rodgers and Mac Jones. So let's get to the Patriots side of things. Now, Jason, and I talked about this off the hop. And it's funny because if you were to remove Mac Jones's name from the equation, you just said the New England Patriots won 10 games a year ago and went to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. You'd be like, oh, OK, mm-hmm. there's something positive to build on. You've got a good young quarterback. He had a good first year. And Jason comes in this morning and he's like, yeah, they might have to you know, bottom out and redraft a better quarterback yeah. because I don't think anyone, I'm not sold on him. Ruff's obviously not sold on him. Talk about the humiliation of Mac Jones on Sunday. <laughs> well, and I don't think anyone blames specifically Mac Jones for coming in as the rookie, beating Cam Newton for a job, doing everything Josh McDaniels told him to do, throwing screen passes that went for 15, 20 yards because Josh McDaniel was calling the plays and the offensive line was great and having that rookie season. That was fun. And now, some of those offensive linemen are gone. Um, the the, the uh, uh, Josh McDaniels has been replaced by Jay and Silent Bob, and you know Jones is spending a lot of time making adjustments at the line, taking the snap, looking around and saying, "My God, I have the slowest receiving core in the NFL, and this play is a vanilla play that like a, a Madden player could figure out what what we're doing. I'm toast. I'm doomed." And then you get the reality of Jones's. Not particularly fast, does not have a fastball, does not have an exceptional deep ball. So now every one of his uh, his limitations is being exposed by this. So uh, it's a it's a bad scene all around. And you know, one thing I wrote is that you know, all during the preseason, we're like, oh, Matt Patricia can't call plays, Joe Judge can't co- you know coach a quarterback. This is going to be hysterical. It wasn't hysterical. It, it was sad. You know, the, the, the Patriots are running plays. They're going out there. They they can hand off. They can through screens and all. It just looks really, really ugly. And with that receiving core and and that coaching staff, it's not going to get any better. For Mac Jones, it must have been even worse seeing Tua Tungavailoa have a a receiver (laughs) like Tyreek Hill, which, you know, Hill is the perfect receiver for for Tua because he kind of helps his limitations. Yeah, yeah. And Mac and Tua know each other from Alabama. They, They shared a quarterback room. (laughs) <laughs> you got it, and Jones is out there and sort of doing everything technically correct. You know the good footwork and going through the progression. And Tua's kind of like, "I oh, run for my life here, t- here, Tyreek, get get this uh, screen pass, get this RPO." And Tyreek runs around in circles. I think he caught uh, eight passes, uh, kept the offense moving, caught jump balls, did all the things that make Tua's life easier. And of course, that also opens up things for Waddle, and Waddle catches the, the touchdown pass. So if you're watching Goofus and Gallant, and Goofus over there at Tua Tunga Viola is getting all this help from Tyreek Hill and from Mike McDaniel, the new head coach. And 
Uh, Mac Jones is getting no help whatsoever. We're nine minutes into this hit. Mike's already given us a Jay and Silent Bob reference and a Goofus and Gallant <laughs> reference, which is why we have him on the show every Monday. He is Mike Tanier, our Monday morning quarterback here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. Uh, we had a list. Our poll question today actually was who had the worst Sunday in the NFL. Not surprisingly, overwhelming uh, favorite, overwhelming runaway leader so far. The Dallas Cowboys. I can't think of one thing that went right. And they did score in their first drive. They put up three points. And then after that, everything went really badly for the Cowboys. I know Dak Prescott is going to miss seven to eight weeks. Can you say that their season is done? I hate saying it because I know that this is overreaction Monday. But between what we saw on Sunday Night Football and losing their starting quarterback, I just wonder if this is already going to be a lost season for the Cowboys. It was done before Dak Prescott got hurt. Okay. It was done. I think the score was 19-3 to in the early in the fourth quarter, and it was fourth down near midfield, and McCarthy punted. McCarthy looked at this situation and said, yeah, it's not going to get any better. We're done. Let's give up. Let's surrender, and punted. And before that, in the previous drive, Leonard Fournette is getting 10 yards at a burst, barreling through that defense. On every, everyone except Micah Parsons at that particular moment was like, yeah, we're done here. Nothing to see here. And it was done because if you can't beat the Buccaneers, if you can't do anything right against the Buccaneers, forget beating them. If you can't hang with them, if the only thing you can do right is one guy can get a sack now and then, that means you're not really a Super Bowl contender. You're not going to hang there. You're not in good position to hang with the Packers once they figure things out, the Rams once they figure things out. You're vulnerable to the Eagles who got to win. You're vulnerable to all these other teams. You're not that team. And Mike McCarthy is not going to make that better. So that was before. Now I think they get the Bengals next week with Cooper Rush at quarterback. That's 0-2. That's going to get Jarrah frustrated. And that's going to make us move in the direction of, hey, let's, let's call Sean Payton now. Let's get him out of the booth. Let's, 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 start, let's start the 2023 process early. I'm enjoying the speculation now of Jimmy G to Dallas because 49ers fans might be like, actually, you know what? We might need him. <laughs> right. Yeah, they might need him, although I don't think that's going to happen. The other thing that people think will happen because it's the Cowboys, and especially on the Internet, we say the Cowboys are going to make a big trade because when we say the Cowboys are going to make a big trade, all the Cowboys lovers and Cowboys haters all click the thing. So, oh, the Cowboys will get Jimmy Garoppolo and they'll give the 49ers a second-round pick or something like that. Neither of those things are going to happen. The, the, the Cowboys rarely make those trades anymore. You know, Stephen Jones, who does most of that uh, type of maneuvering anymore, is a little more cat management logical and, and is a little bit more long-sighted than his dad. He's not, he's not going to make a big deal. And let's face it, Jerry's not going to be like, Give me that Garoppolo kid. Give me him. Like it's not like Garoppolo is that kind of guy yeah. uh, that's going to make Jerry start pounding his uh, his his whiskey glass on the table. So uh, <laughs> none of that's going to happen. We're going. The, the Cowboys are kind of maxed out cap wise at this point. They're going to ride this out with Cooper Rush. It's going to be ugly. Mike McCarthy's going to kind of quit on them because that's what Mike McCarthy. When the going gets tough, he goes to the massage parlor, not in a creepy way. Um, and uh, and that's what's going to happen with the Cowboys. Uh, that being said, the 49ers did not get off to a good start no. to the season. Um, <laughs> how much of a, a mulligan will we give them just because of the weather conditions for the game? Yeah, I am a little bit in wait-and-see mode for them because that was a weird, non-predictively messy, sloppy game. And like the points that they gave up were on these run-around-and-throw-it-for-dear-life plays 
And, you know, they're facing a, a home team in those conditions with a new coach, and they sort of got short-seated. So I, I'm watching Trey Lance carefully. I, we're waiting for George Kittle to come back. There's reason to get nervous. But the, the storyline that the 49ers were going to have this, like, Patrick Mahomes Chiefs year two, here we come with this guy, and he's 100% ready to take the league by storm. That's looking pretty iffy right now. How do the Cincinnati Bengals still have offensive line problems? This has been a recurring theme in the very short career of Joe Burrow, and I understand that they spent some pretty significant money to try and upgrade, but you saw them again on the weekend, uh, multiple sacks. I think it was seven all told, and then there was the issue at the end of the game where they failed to get a body on um, Minka Fitzpatrick, and he blocked the extra point to send it to overtime. I feel like at some point that the Bengals are going to need to address this in a very serious way. Otherwise, they're going to run the risk of not run the risk of not winning football games, but also getting Burrow hurt because he can't get dropped this often. Right, and I, I have to I have to look at the tape to really understand this. And I have not been able to do that. Look at the film. It might be a coaching issue. I don't think Zach Taylor's scheme does Burrow any favors because there's a lot of just just go out there five guys and block as hard as you can because all the receivers are going deep and it looks great when they're open and it looks like a sack and a scramble if they're not. And I think that's part of it. But I'm kind of sanguine about the Bengals because. The guys they brought in are good ball players. These are professional mm-hmm. offensive linemen. It's not like they spent money just to spend money. These, this, was, this looks like a good plan, and let's see if they can make the adjustments they need to make that plan come to fruition. We're speaking to Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the poll question today, Mike, of course, we talked about who had the worst Sunday in the NFL this past weekend, so we went over the Cowboys, we went over the Packers, Patriots, Bengals. Then we had some ones in the sort of honorable mention category, and Mm -hmm. one of them was the Arizona Cardinals, who opened (laughs) it home and then watched Patrick Mahomes stomp all over them. Five touchdowns. He was phenomenal in that game. I almost felt like it was a little bit of a statement game from Mahomes and the Chiefs, if only because they were kind of looking back and saying, well, we lost Tyreek Hill, and there's all these other teams with new quarterbacks and new shiny toys at wide receiver we're still the Chiefs, and when Mahomes is back there, we can put up points on anybody, and they did so putting up 44 in Arizona. Yeah, look what we can do. We can run the ball because our yeah. offensive line is really good. We can distribute short passes. We did bring in Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Marquez Valdez-Scanning, and we drafted Sky Moore. So, so we have guys here. We did not just deplete everything without a plan, and that was looked like a statement for the Chiefs who have to do a quick turnaround. They play the Chargers on Thursday night, and, you know, the Cardinals, it's kind of like a statement for the Cardinals, too. The statement's, well, you know, this is who we are. J.J. Watt's hurt again because when we brought him in, he was already like 32 and toast or whatever. And, and, and this is the way it's going to go week to week to week. And uh, so, you know, I'm very impressed by the uh, Chiefs. But I'm not going to say the Cardinals had like the worst, uh, worst week one because it was kind of expected. It's like saying the Jets had the worst, worst week one. This is what they do, and this is kind of what the Cardinals do. Uh, so, Mike, the uh, Seattle Seahawks are now in first place in the NFC West. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, you noticed that. Um, what are you looking for to in tonight's? Obviously, you're, everyone's going to be looking for the crowd reaction of of uh, Seahawks fans as Russell Wilson is introduced tonight. Um, h- how do you think this is th- this game is going to play out? Well, well, first of all, I'm going to say I was there when Donovan Donovan McNabb returned to Philadelphia with Washington, mm. and the Philly fans. The Philly fans cheered raucously, happily, excitedly cheered for McNabb because the angry, angry people don't buy tickets <laughs> to the game. So there's going to be a, a, a rousing 100% ovation for Russell Wilson coming in the door because the, the season ticket holders appreciate that. 
after that, it's all downhill. The forecast calls for pain. I don't see how the how these Seahawks are going to hang with uh, Geno Smith, at quarterback, against this pretty well-stacked-up-looking Denver Broncos team. Yeah, I hate to acknowledge it out loud. I really want to see a compelling football game, especially after that dud on Sunday Night Football last night. But the reality yeah. of it is, the more I look at this, the more I have a hard time thinking that outside of some energy at the start, that Seattle's going to yeah. be able to hang. But, hey, that's why we watch the games. Mike, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Should be a lot of fun. We'll do this again next Monday. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier uh, brought to you by the Clayton Public House, your home of football. Every game day, catch the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. That's 17 places to watch the game, Jason. That's that's more than 16. That's right. Less than 18. Uh, yeah, they should really add an 18th. Yeah. Um, so... On Friday, we did our NFL locks of the week. Yeah, um, we won't great. mention we won't mention yours. It no, was, mention it. It was Dallas. Yeah, I liked Dallas again. I went with the, the thought process of Dallas at home, prime time, plus two and a half. So mm-hmm. like you know, and I was like, okay, this Tom Brady led offense with all the departures from the offensive line and and trouble at home. Yeah, right. Marital strife yeah. allegedly. Uh, and I'll say this, uh, Brady and the Bucks offense wasn't great, but it didn't need to be. I had no idea that the Dallas offense was going to be that stagnant. Mm-hmm. They, did, they didn't move the ball at all. They couldn't get anything going beyond a five-yard screen pass. Okay, so my lock of the week was Denver minus 6.5 at Seattle. And a few of the listeners made that seem like I was going to be cheering for Denver. Right. For the record, I don't put any money on my locks of the week because I would like to keep some of my money. It'd be foolish. Um, I just think this is the way it's going to play out. I will be cheering against my lock of the week. Mm. I, I, I hope, like I, I've said, I've kind of joked about this a few times. Like I want the Seahawks to win one game this year. Right. I want them to be in a great position to draft a franchise quarterback at the end of the season, whoever that may be, but I want them to be Denver tonight. I would love to see that. That would feel better to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially if it goes down in a way where Russell Wilson just doesn't look good or makes a key mistake at the wrong time or just gets flustered. or like That would be as good as a playoff win for me this year. Um, and you got to see your – if things go according to plan on Saturday, you got to see your potential choice for franchise quarterback with Bryce Young with some heroics for Alabama over Texas. Yeah, although – I know when, it wasn't a great you, game overall, but he made the big play. That, he that was did. what everyone was talking yep, about, he right? Did. Like yeah. he, he stepped up when he Escaped needed to make the a pressure play. Yeah. And, and and made a big play. Um, but when you know that I, I actually think Alabama dropped below Georgia in the rankings mm-hmm. um because they only barely beat Texas. Yep. There were it was actually a crazy day in college football. Yep. Uh, Texas A&M lost. Notre Dame losing to Marshall at home. Yeah. I got home mid-afternoon. It's the start of soccer season, by the way, this mm. weekend. So, I so the a- new Notre Dame head coach is 0-3 to start because he, right. he was the coach for a bowl, a bowl game as well. Yep, that's right. Yeah. He is, so he actually, it's funny, There's there was a video going around, which I think subsequently went viral, of him addressing the Notre Dame fans outside of the stadium prior to and He's like, no better place to get our first win and talking about his regime yeah. than right here at home. Cause it's Marshall. Like mm-hmm. I know that, you know, there, there's the great movies. We yeah, are Marshall. We are the, Marshall. The famous storyline of yeah. the tragedy of the team, but that was a while ago. I don't think they had beaten a top 10 team in almost 15 years. They just went to go into Notre Dame. 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got home uh, late afternoon on Saturday. I flip on the TV and I'm, and I'm scrolling through. And one of my best buddies is a huge Fighting Irish fan. And I looked at the screen and I almost did a double take because I couldn't, I didn't really believe the score. Usually when yeah. you, you know, you get the, the Notre Dame Saturday NBC game and they're usually playing someone like Georgia A&T and they're up 63 to nothing. So I look and I'm like, they're, they're losing. So I texted my buddy. I'm like, are, are you really losing to Marshall right now? Just <laughs> reply. I don't want to talk about it. And that torpedoed their season. That's it for Notre Dame now. I, I think uh, teams should stop scheduling games against App State. They have done this a couple of times now. So App State, Georgia Southern, Marshall. I'm trying to think. There's been a, a bunch of really stunning results off the hop here. Yeah. Where te- And these are the teams, the cupcake teams, that you pay like $1.5 million to come to your barn right? yeah. your arena, and get blown out and right. then go away. They're not supposed to come and win. That's no. not part of the plan. But that's exactly what, for example, what Marshall did at Notre Dame on the weekend. Uh, all right, coming up on the show. We're going to talk to one of our favorite guests. If you don't know this guest, just a warning, he's not quiet. Dave Softy Mahler. I want to talk to Dave about his feelings about Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos coming into Seattle tonight. Um, There is a real debate going on, well, on the show, but in Seattle, uh, between... People that are enjoying, Seahawks fans that are kind of enjoying making fun of Russell Wilson and and maybe criticizing him on on the way out. Mm -hmm. And then there's really hard pushback from a strong segment of the fan base that will say, like, you're being ungrateful. This is a guy that gave his all to the Seahawks. This is a guy that helped win a Super Bowl for the franchise, like the one thing the franchise wanted, the one thing the franchise did not have, he helped deliver that. And you're going to criticize him. You're going to maybe boo him in his return. So it is a very, very interesting situation down in Seattle. A lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't ask for a better first game for the Seahawks this season. It's beautiful. When the schedule came out, it was chef's kiss. Amazing. Yeah. And now we get to see it play out. We've done this to ourselves before, folks. We've gotten excited and hyped up for sporting events that we think are going to be great. But you know what? We keep doing it. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. Even when they let us down, we just keep doing it. Because that's the beauty of sports. So, big, big day and big, big night for Seattle. We're going to go down to Seattle next with Dave Softy Muller from KJR Sports Talk Radio in Seattle. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss it. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Alfred and Bruff is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premium metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, we are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. 
Speaking of today, we have had this date circled on the calendar for months. As soon as the NFL schedule was released and as soon as we realized that Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos would be playing in Seattle week one to open the season, uh, we knew it was going to be something special. Who better to talk about one of these landmark moments in Seattle sports than Dave Softy Muller from KGA Sports Talk, KJR Sports Talk Radio in Seattle. He joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Softy. How are you? Yeah, don't lie. There were hundreds of guys that you wanted on before me, but they all turned you down. This is not true, Softy. You were I number was the one. the only one that said yes. <laughs> it was That's a, why I'm here. It was a list of one, and it just yeah, said Yeah, by Softy. the way, there's nothing happy about a Monday ever. No. I don't understand why people use happy and Monday in the same sentence. It's like saying you went to an exciting funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Or there's Softy. a dry rain coming. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay. Admittedly, this is a good Monday. Suck. If only because, Softy, if only because of this game. Uh, on the yeah. like on the hype scale, you've, you've covered uh, Seattle sports for an awfully long time. You know the landscape. Where does this moment rank? Because there's so many different uh, narratives and angles and conflict really going into it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, it's going to be one and done as far as the hype train's concerned for the 2022 Seahawks season. That's right. the way I feel right now. And maybe somebody will shock the world. Maybe Geno, Drew Locke, whatever will shock the world. Maybe the NFC West will be so bad that the Seahawks will be in it, you know, with a, you know, 6-11 and 11 record at the end of the year. And if you watch the first weekend of NFL football, then... The NFC West looks like they could be in trouble. I mean, Matt Stafford may have a noodle for an arm. Uh, San Francisco lost to Chicago. The Cardinals did not look great at all, and they lost to Kansas City yesterday. So, as of right now, with an 0-0 record, the Seahawks are in first place. So, my, my feeling is, is that the hype train is going to be at an all-time high for tonight. And then it's going to fall off a freaking cliff uh, starting against the Falcons in a couple weeks from now. You know, when they first put tickets for sale up on the secondary market for this game, they were going for well over $300. You can get in the door for about 130 bucks right now yeah. uh, for this game tonight. So the ticket prices have dropped dramatically. You know, I think most people are curious to watch the game to see what kind of reaction Russell Wilson gets, and then that's it. You know, I'm taking my wife to the game tonight, and I asked her if she was excited. And she said, I just want to see what kind of reaction Russell gets. And then she may jump into an Uber and go home, for all I know. So uh, if I were going to the game, and actually we were we were talking about the, the low ticket price, relatively low ticket prices last week on the show. If I were to right. go to the game, um, I would cheer hard for Russell Wilson upon his introduction, and then I would yeah. cheer against him harder than perhaps any player I've ever cheered against. Yeah. And I get that. Look, I mean – me, I, I'm probably kind of indifferent to the whole thing. You know, I just want to kind of just keep my mouth shut, which I don't normally do, and see what the reaction is for Russell when he walks into the stadium, kind of be more of an observer, I guess, than a participant. But I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you. There's also a lot of people that would say, nope, I want to hammer him from the second he walks into that stadium. I mean, look, the guy turned his back on Seattle. End of story. You know, he wanted out of here. You know, Now, you can argue that maybe the Hawks wanted him out of here, too. A lot of fans were not ready to commit to paying him $49 million a year like the Broncos just did. Uh, a lot of people thought he was washed up. A lot of people thought it was way too much money to devote to an aging quarterback in his mid-30s who can no longer run the way he used to. So I totally get that. But I, I think when a quarterback makes the decision, 
when a player makes the decision to turn his back on a team and orchestrate a trade to get him out of town, uh, a lot of people only focus on that. And yes, there's going to be a time and place, guys, you know this, where Russell Wilson comes back, they kiss his butt, you know, he gets his name in the ring of honor. Um, who knows? Maybe even one day they retire the number three, but I doubt it. That's a different conversation if you guys want to talk about that as well. Um, but I think tonight you're going to see and hear way more booze than you will cheers. I do want to talk about that. So you think if you had by the to, way, by the way, just real quick, yeah. I'm just looking it up as you guys were talking there. Tickets on Venue Kings are now $109 to get in. That that's that's almost a 66 percent drop hmm. from when they first hit the market. So well, that's that's kind of interesting to me that it's dropped that much. I you know wild yeah like I again. I'm with you on this. I mean, Jason's called it essentially the Seahawks Super Bowl. I said of this season, we just looked at the schedule right now. It's not exactly a murderer's row of teams coming to Seattle. You're not going to, I mean, outside of, I think the the Brady and the Bucks game is in Germany, right? Right, yeah. So you don't even get that. So I'm looking at this and saying, if you are any kind of Seahawks fan, tonight's the night that you want to be part of the 12s, but it doesn't seem like that's reflecting in the ticket sales. Now, the retired jersey debate, that's interesting right. to me. I hadn't really thought it out that much. I know it's like Cortez Kennedy, Steve Largent, Walter Jones, Kenny Easley. Is the, right. tw- is the 12 officially retired, or do we just not want to yes. talk about that? Yes. Okay, we'll move 12 along. Was first. 12 yeah. was the first number they retired. So <clears throat> all those players you just mentioned, what do they all have in common? All four of them. Um, Played with the Seahawks the whole time? That's it. Yeah. They played their entire yeah. career right. with the Seahawks. So the Seahawks PR staff or whatever you want to call it, committee, they've got kind of a general rule that you got to play your whole career with the Seahawks and be a Hall of Fame player. Well, I mean, look, at some point, you know, that may have to go away, right? And we and it may go away for a guy like Russell Wilson. You know, he's the greatest quarterback in franchise history. And we'll see we'll see if somebody ends up wearing number 23. You know, when, when Richard Sherman left, they gave out number 25 pretty fast. When Marshawn Lynch left, they gave out number 24 pretty fast. Uh, Earl Thomas took off. You know, 29 was given out. So they didn't wait on giving those other numbers out to people. And I think the difference between Russell and those other players is that Russell is likely going to play six or seven more years in the NFL. I mean, he you know put in, what, 10 years with the Seahawks, and he may put in six or seven, maybe even eight or so with Denver, right? So in the end, he's going to have almost a second career with somebody else. It's like Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson had a long career in Seattle, but then went to Arizona, and he became a first ballot Hall of Famer when he got to Arizona. People, you know, I think associate Randy Johnson more with the Diamondbacks across the country than they do with the Mariners now. So what does Russell Wilson do with Denver? That's my question. Does he go to Denver and succeed and win a couple of titles or a championship or take Denver to a Super Bowl? Does he have success in Denver? If he has any modicum of success in Denver where people can start to associate Russell Wilson as a Denver Bronco, I think he's done. He'll he'll never get his number retired with the Seahawks, ever. Now, if he goes to Denver and he struggles and he's there for a couple years and he gets cut and he ends up retiring, then maybe he's got a shot to have his number retire with the Seahawks. But I, I think it all depends on what he does as a Bronco. Softy, what is the most heated argument that Seahawks fans have amongst themselves with regards yeah. to Russell Wilson? Is it that is it is it some people saying that oh you know Russ changed he became a diva. 
Uh, and then other people saying, like, what are you talking about? This guy, how can you criticize this guy on right, on his way out? Right. He he helped right. deliver a Super Bowl. And wouldn't you be frustrated as well with the Seahawks with that offensive line that he had to deal with yeah. for so many yeah. years? Yeah, that's absolutely the first part of your argument is absolutely what tears people apart on on social media. I mean, social media is a stupid place anyway to be. But, you know, I mean, people like to fight about everything for crying out loud and you know, one of the things that people like to say, like, for example, I'll just give you an example. Hugh Millen, who spent 10 years, years in the NFL, does some stuff with us uh, in Seattle on radio. He, he mentioned on Friday that, you know, Russell became a diva and was starting to kind of become a problem and tearing the team apart and becoming hard to manage. And so I tweeted that quote out and certain people went bananas about it. You know, I mean, how could you criticize this guy for his personality and who he is and what he did there and blah, blah, blah. And look, I mean, I just think people need this living in a world of black and white when it comes to athletes and really when it comes to judging or characterizing or profiling or forming an opinion, however you want to say it, because I hate the word judge because it sounds so ridiculous that none of us should really be doing that when it's all said and done. But, you know, your opinion on an athlete or your opinion on an actor or a politician or whatever, why can't it be a shade of gray, right? I mean, look, here's the deal. Russell Wilson was a diva. Russell Wilson was Hollywood. Russell Wilson kind of became a different guy after he met Sierra. Uh, I remember talking to numerous Seahawks football players after Russell Wilson left and asking them, hey, how often did you hang out with Russ after practice or after a game, have dinner, have beers, whatever? And they would all say never. He, just, he, he, he kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. You know, the, um, the uh, you know, you know, way he would go about promoting himself, uh, the weirdness on social media, the awkwardness on social media, the look-at-me mentality on social media, things like that. Uh, all of that is true. And then on top of that, it's also true that Russell Wilson was the greatest quarterback in franchise history. It's also true that without him, they probably would have really struggled in the last maybe four or five years after the LOB you know, went away. So I, I think we can live in a world of gray and say that Russell Wilson turned off a lot of people with his personality and the way he acted. Uh, and the fact that he turned his back on the Seahawks franchise and he was lying through his teeth the entire time at the end about wanting to be here forever, when in the meantime he was orchestrating deals behind the scenes to get him out of here, all of that can be true, and all of that can turn people off. And you can also admit at the same time that the guy was clearly, clearly the greatest franchise quarterback this team has ever seen. So all of that can be true at the same time. We have a question in from a listener to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 656. A question from our listener. Yes. Thank you, listener. Ask Softy how he feels about all the Super Bowl alumni showing up at the practice facility now that Russell Wilson is gone. That's from Curtis and White Rock. Yeah. Well, I just look, I just don't think that he was, he wasn't disliked by people. I don't think everybody walked around the locker room or the facility saying, hey, we hate Russell, you know, what a goof this guy is, screw him, blah, blah, blah. The analogy that I've made with Russell Wilson to a lot of people is he's just not the kind of guy you'd go play golf with. Sure. You know, he would annoy the hell out of you, and you would just be looking at him, and you'd be raising your eyebrows going, man, what's up with this dude? Why is he saying that? Or why is he acting like that? Why is he doing that? He's not the kind of guy you'd go have beers with. He's not the kind of guy you'd want to go play golf with. But if you needed a quarterback to take you to the playoffs and keep you in the playoff hunt every single year, 
that's your man, for sure. There's no doubt that Russell Wilson offers a lot of positive things. He was great for the city, did a lot of things behind the scenes. He also did a lot of things behind the scenes that he wanted people to know about. You know, I mean, that's the thing is that a lot of people talk about Russell Wilson has worked with Children's Hospital, which was phenomenal. And, you know, people would say things like, well, he's only doing that, you know, to benefit his image. Okay, that's fine. And I think, you know, there's some truth to that. But those kids at that hospital did not give a damn about Russell's motive. All they cared is that Russell Wilson was there at the hospital and made their day. But there's a lot of players, a lot of athletes, a lot of guys on that Seahawks football team did a lot of things behind the scenes in the community. They just didn't tell people about it. So I think that's where you kind of get into that category, guys, where he rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, wasn't really exactly tight with a lot of guys uh, on that football team. I remember when he got married, only two guys showed up. I think it was Jimmy Graham and Robert Turbin. And Jimmy Graham had just gotten there, by the way, uh, to Seattle when that happened. So, uh, you know, you've you've seen the movie Draft Day, you know, Bo Callahan, yeah. when nobody showed up for his birthday party. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. But the on-field, you mentioned it. Like, if you want a guy that's going to get you to the playoffs and win championships, that's obviously what, the, obviously what the Denver Broncos thought when they acquired him. Now, as it pertains to the on-field product, I thought it was really weird that he didn't take a single snap in the preseason. Uh, right. It was one of those things where it was like, I can understand a star quarterback wanting to sit out to not get injured, but not one that's going to a brand-new team for the first time in his career outside of being drafted by the Seahawks. And right. his first significant snaps are going to come in maybe the most hostile environment for week one. Uh, I, I think this is a really interesting dynamic. What are your expectations for the on-field product? Well, I think, uh, I think he's going to have a hard time living up to the expectations. I mean, when you sign a guy to a $49 million contract that makes him the second highest paid quarterback in the history of the NFL, I think at the age of 34, without his legs, he's going to have a really hard time living up to it. I mean, let's face it, anything less than a championship in Denver is going to be a disappointment, and he better damn well at least get Denver to a Super Bowl. And if Russell Wilson's M.O. was getting back to a championship, then he just took a tougher road to get there. He should have stayed in the NFC. Going to the AFC, he's got to deal with Herbert. He's got to deal with Burrow. He's got to deal with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's got to deal with all these different young quarterbacks, hotshot young quarterbacks now in the AFC. The NFC seems to be a lot more wide open. I mean, if there are great quarterbacks in the NFC, most of them are aging, like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. So if Russell Wilson's desire really, really, really was to get back to a Super Bowl, then he should have pulled a Tom Brady. He should have taken less money. He should have stayed in Seattle or gone to a different NFC team. Instead, he goes to Denver, uh, you know, where he wants to be a gigantic fish in a medium-sized pond. Maybe has a hankering at some point in time to be a part of that ownership group with the Walmart family. I have no idea. And he wants to run the damn town. So, look, I, I, I just think that Russell Wilson has a lot of bigger aspirations than, than just being a championship quarterback, which is totally fine. You know, that's great. Good for him. If he wants to be president one day, awesome. He wants to be, you know, uh, starring in movies one day, awesome. He wants to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Hey, that's great. But fans don't care about that. I don't care about that. All fans should care about is how devoted a guy is to your football team, and does he help you win titles? 
And if Russell Wilson is not focused on that, then I can see why a lot of people would be irritated with his attitude and his outlook and his approach. So I think it's going to be very difficult for him to live up to that, uh, to the expectations in Denver. Uh, we got to talk about the Mariners before we let you go. Jason will do that. But before we do that, I got one more thing just on the NFC West because you mentioned it a couple times now. Uh, how great was it to watch how bad the Niners looked yesterday? Yeah, you know what? It's starting. You're starting to kind of realize that maybe they made the right call keeping Jimmy Garoppolo, and I wonder if some of that is actually impacting Trey Lance. Maybe. You know, I mean, it's like you're sticking with Trey Lance. He's your starting quarterback, but not really, right. because you're keeping Jimmy Garoppolo and you're not making Trey Lance a captain. So it's almost like Trey Lance is on like a like a trial basis, right? Like you took him home. You're going to take him for a spin doesn't work out you can take them back on monday and i think that is it's a horrible approach for san francisco it's a great approach for the seahawks and the rest of the nfc west but it's a horrible approach for san francisco softy what are you more excited for uh the mariners prospects at the postseason or i think this is probably not going to be the one but the huskies are two and oh and they got a big game against michigan state coming up yeah i'm more excited right now for the huskies than i am the seahawks now, ask me next Monday if the Huskies get buried by Michigan State. Maybe I'll switch my mind to the Seahawks. Uh, but I'm way more excited for the Huskies than I am the Seahawks, and I'm really excited for the Mariners. I mean, guys, I'll just tell you a little little personal story. My dad passed away about five weeks ago, and both of us were really big baseball fans and would go to games together. And, you know, the Ichiro game where he went into the Mariner Hall of Fame was a game that him and I were supposed to go to together, and I, I, just, I, I just couldn't. I just wasn't feeling it, you know, so I stayed home and I watched that game. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to muster all the energy and the emotion and the passion for this playoff run by the Mariners. And it's, it's been really weird for me because this is normally something that I'd be spending with my dad and enjoying with him. And the fact that he's not here has, has kind of put a little bit of a damper on the whole thing. But I know that once the Mariners are in the playoffs, it'll be a different story. And I'm guaranteeing you that their odds of making the World Series have gone up because my dad's not here. And that may sound corny to some people, but... But I just want to believe that, right? That there's gonna, this is the year. That this is the way it works for me as a sports fan. That yeah, the Mariners are going to make the World Series, but your dad's not going to be around to see it with you. So you know, it's just kind of a stupid little thing that I'm just thinking in the back of my head. And you know, I think it'll be the greatest sporting accomplishment this city has ever seen if they make the World Series, even more so than the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks when they launched in the '70s kind of had instant success. They were in the AFC Championship. In in 83, you know, six, seven years later after launching, they're playing for the right to go to the Super Bowl. They were in the playoffs, you know, early in their franchise. The Mariners had to wait for 18 years, and now the run that they're on now, the drought that they're on now, is even longer than that first run, meaning, you know, 12, 13, 18, 19-year-old people, whatever, mid-20s, heck, they're waiting longer than we did to see this team back in the playoffs. So I just think the, um, the amount of time that we've been waiting and for how much they've been beaten up by the rest of the world, and they deserve all of it, by the way, if they make the World Series this year, this would be the greatest friend, the greatest sporting accomplishment this city's ever seen. Uh, ever. So, yeah, Softy, I did want to say both of us saw the news of your dad, and it, terribly unfortunate, and we wanted to pass along our condolences before we let you go. I know, yeah, we were trying you. To, I know we were trying to get a hold of you earlier, so it was awesome to get caught up right now because, again, as we mentioned, this is such a great time for Seattle sports, you've got the singularity of tonight, which is going to be a really big moment. Then you've got whatever the Mariners may or may not do over the next little bit here. So enjoy it all. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully you and your wife don't have to leave the game in the first quarter tonight. 
Yeah, well, she can leave in the first quarter. I'm staying. That's why we have Ubers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Thanks, bud. Take it easy. That's Bye. Dave Softy Mahler from KJR Sports Radio in Seattle here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Again, um, you and I, like, historically have always been ardent followers of all the sports that have gone on in Seattle, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of it has to do with when you grow up, Seattle had all the teams that we didn't have here. Right, they had an NBA team, they had and we team. got coverage because all their news channels, and you know, like we 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 even know like their sportscasters, you know, like Tony Ventrella and Wayne Cody, <laughs> see, and like all these guys that we grew up. It, it was just such a different media how, atmosphere. How there. many of you watched Almost Live growing up? How many of you? I don't and, know. And the how high five and white listeners. guys, and the high five and white Andy, guys. Andy, have you heard? Is Andy there? I can barely see sometimes. Uh, did you watch Almost Live? No. Okay. Not familiar. That was a, a sketch comedy show out of Seattle that preceded Saturday Night Live and was often funnier than Saturday Night Live. It was a sketch comedy from the Pacific Northwest. It was super regional. It was super local. It was funny. Anyway, point being, um, I love it when we can talk to someone that really has their finger on the pulse of the entire sports landscape. Mm-hmm. Softy's the best. He's so he's, good. He's like a generalist, but that's almost unfair because he knows so much about mm-hmm. each individual team and franchise and school that you want. He's almost an expert on Seattle. It's really kind of cool. I like his acknowledgement, too, that it's not a black and white situation with Russell Wilson and the yeah. Seahawks. Yeah. Like, you can say that you don't like the way that Russell Wilson changed um, and did and you can you can concede that he may have become a bit of a diva, mm-hmm. but you can also admit that hey, if I was him, I'd be frustrated with the offensive line. I'd be frustrated with a few of the draft picks that the Seahawks made in the last few years. I'd be frustrated with sometimes with with a bit of the play calling. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated relationship. I liken it a bit to uh, Roberto Luongo in Vancouver who I think might have had the most complicated relationship with the fans in Vancouver sports history. Yeah. Like you get I mean look like I'm not I don't want to have the Luongo debate but No, but it's a great analogy but, 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 because there's the whole debate about his legacy split between yeah. two franchises. You're going to get that with Russ now. Softy brought up a great point. What if Russell Wilson plays 8 years and wins a Super Bowl in Denver? Mm-hmm. Do you think of him as a Seattle Seahawk or do you think of him as a Denver Bronco? I'm sure there'll be that debate. He made the great the, the great comparison with Randy Johnson, who I of course think of as a Montreal Man. Expo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a, I to, I didn't think about that. You yeah. know, like oh yeah, Randy Johnson to me is a Mariner, but that's because mm-hmm. I followed the Mariners. They were the like the proximity thing. Yeah. I suppose if I was to take a step back and look at it from a national lens, I do remember him and Schilling being the dynamic duo for the Diamondbacks. Right now, the Diamondbacks are not like a historic mm-hmm. franchise by any stretch of the imagination, but that year was pretty memorable when they won it. And, you know, that's that is a part of an athlete's legacy is you can tie yourself to one franchise in one city, but there's something about going elsewhere. Now, here's I mean, the other interesting wrinkle here is that um, Peyton Manning did this, right? Peyton Manning went to a second team, had a a short second career, but had unbelievable, unbelievable levels of success. Yeah, with, set records with with and won a Super Bowl with Denver. But he's still almost exclusively known as he's a Indianapolis Colt. Yeah. Right. 
I, and it's because he didn't play long enough. So it, it, it it's funny because two things I didn't think about with the Randy Johnson legacy thing. He but, won one Super Bowl with the Colts, right, and one with the Broncos. Correct. Yeah. So same number of t- titles, mm-hmm. but. When it came to retiring the number, if you had asked me for my knee-jerk, just one-word answer, is Russell Wilson's number going to be retired by the Seahawks? My first answer would have been, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't have even yeah. thought about it. But now, it's like, well, wait a minute. All the other guys, what's the difference? They were Seahawks through and through. Mm-hmm. That was it. Tip the tail, start to end, I was a Seahawk. And I guess that does matter. And it matters in the Luongo debate when you talk about it in Vancouver. It's like, yeah, he had his best years in Vancouver. But he spent more time in Florida, lives mm-hmm. in Florida. He works for the organization now. It's an interesting dynamic that when you start to peel it back and you take away your sort of inner fandom, you go, yeah, there is more to this. Well, there's also the, the way his relationship, like Luongo's relationship with the fans, I would say improved as opposed to Russell Wilson's um, in some ways got worse because Luongo early on was considered this kind of overly sensitive, maybe a bit prickly personality to the point where you would have asked the question after the 2011 Stanley Cup final, who would you rather go out for a beer with, Roberto Luongo or Tim Thomas? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would be like, Tim Thomas, he seems like a great fun guy. Luongo, I don't know, he seems a little emotional, a a little pouty at times, a little needy. Yeah. You know, like needy for compliments and all that sort of stuff. But now, if you were to ask that question, or even just three years after 2011, you'd have been like, oh, Luongo, he's hilarious. He's on Twitter. Yeah. Although the Tim Thomas beer would be pretty interesting. The Tim Thomas beer would be <laughs> very interesting. So many conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what now? What are we? What, Tim. Uh, do you want to come see my bunker? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do I get to leave? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ian McIntyre is going to join us for the first hit of the hockey season with Halford and Braff on Sportsnet 650. Haven't talked very much Canucks so far on the show. It's been mostly Seattle talk ahead of the big Monday nighter uh, between the Seahawks and the Broncos. But the Canucks season is going to ramp up real quick, real soon. We'll get the Young Stars Tournament in Penticton this week. Mm -hmm. And then the week after, the weekend after, it's training camp. And then we are right into the preseason. So we're going to have a quick chat with Ian McIntyre coming up next uh, start sending in your what we learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.